We are going to get into our lesson, and I'm just going to let you guys know right now, if, if, you, if you get the Facebook notifications, and you got the notification that we are live streaming right now, you may have already gotten the heads up. But our lesson this morning is called Zombies. <laughs> and literally, the if you're on Facebook, it literally just said Zombies, and the description was, yes. It's zombies, like we're talking about zombies this morning. I'm doing this for a very specific reason. This is a, this is a very silly idea, and I'm, I'm starting off extremely goofy. And John is afraid of zombies. I'm sorry, John. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm starting off very goofy, but honestly, guys, this might be one of the most serious lessons I may have ever, I, I'll ever preach. And I, I, you know, I hope it doesn't come off as like down or like discouraging in any way. But we are going to talk about zombies. I actually love zombie movies. If you, if you like zombie movies and you want to watch a zombie movie with me, I am all on board with that. Um, what is a zombie? Well, a zombie, I have a little definition. This is not out of the dictionary. A zombie is when a dead thing decides it doesn't want to be dead anymore. And then it follows its most basic desires, eating brains. That is what a zombie is. And if you've ever watched a zombie movie, they all are kind of the same. In that, someone dies, then they come back, and they're not dead anymore, and then they just walk around trying to eat brains. And the, the finer minutiae, if you're a zombie movie aficionado like me, you'll know that zombies vary. Some are fast and some are slow and some, you know, reanimate in different ways. And that's all fine. But these, there are three main ingredients to a zombie story. Someone dies, then they come back from the dead, and then they walk around trying to eat people. Well, those three things are actually the, the three things that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about being dead. We're going to talk about not wanting to be dead anymore, and then we're going to talk about following our desires. And so, at the end, I'm going to hope, my, one of my hopes is that the idea of a zombie, a zombie Christian, is kind of tucked away in your brain, and that someday in the future you'll be able to think like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. I'm doing the exact thing Ben said when he was talking about zombies. And so, we're going to jump right into it. The first point is crucified or corrected. Were you crucified or were you corrected? Now let's get into that. What do I mean? Well, let's look at the scripture first. And then we'll, we'll talk about it. This is Galatians 2.20. Kevin... Kevin uh, read this at the, the communion he did, and it's, it's great scripture. Paul says to the Galatian church, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're going to read several scriptures this afternoon about this idea that the life of a Christian, the life of a disciple of Jesus, can be summed up very simply with one word, and that is 
dead. <laughs> and, if, and this is something that if we struggle with, we, man, everything else about the Christian life is going to be very hard. But when we become a, when we become a Christian, we die. And Paul puts it here, I have been crucified and I no longer live. And you're like, but you're alive. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that. Here's what he says in Romans. And I'm just picking out a little bit here. We're going to look at this verse a little bit later. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. And so we have to wrap our brains around this. Being a Christian is dying. And you're like, well, I don't want to do that. Maybe the teens are like, I don't, that doesn't sound fun to me. And I, I hope to explain it a little bit. But here's, here's why this point is called crucified or corrected. Okay, so here's, here's a little timeline. This is, how, this is how it goes. You are living your life, doing whatever you want, apart from the will of God, you, a life in sin. You're doing you. You are your Lord. You are your master. You do whatever you want to do, and you have no, like, outwardly spiritual controls on you. You do whatever you want. Life in sin. And then at some point, this little dot represents a point in time where you are taught something. Either you're introduced, you're made aware, someone shares their faith with you, you read the scriptures, something happens where you learn that the way you're living is not the way God wants you to live. And you are then corrected. You go, oh, I'm wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good, okay? The problem is, and you've probably heard me say this before, this is an easy exit off of the journey that God has in, in store for you. Where, and this is the exit of self-help and self-betterment. You decide at this point, I'm going to be better. I'm going to stop messing up. I'm going to do better. I'll be a good guy. I don't want to be a bad guy anymore. I want to be a good guy. And so we now we look at the scriptures as if it will help us be good. I can learn how to stop doing the bad things, start doing the good things, and I'll be better. And, this, and then this is now your new life, this trajectory up towards self-help, self-betterment. You'll always be buying all the Christian self-help books you can to help you in your journey of being a better person. Now, is that, is that bad? It's not bad, but that is not necessarily what God wants for you. You're like, I don't know, that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. The problem is, if you keep going, if you keep going, once you're corrected, and you don't immediately go like, okay, I'll be better, and you just keep learning about what God's plan for you is, you may actually reach a point, reach a point where you decide, I want to, I see this idea of being crucified, I see this idea of dying, and I want to know what that is. And what happens is you actually start on a whole new journey, a journey where you put yourself to death. You live a life of self-denial. 
where you realize that you're completely powerless to be a better person. And all the self-help books, even the Christian ones, won't help you be the person you really think God should help you be. And guys, I've seen this, I've seen this play out a couple different ways. One is what I mentioned before, where when we, we learn we're making a mistake and we, we bail, and we're like, okay, I'll do better, I promise, I'll do better. I don't like being the bad guy. I want to do better. I want to do better. And I've, I've done this. I've done this in, in my marriage. I think a lot of husbands have done this. When we get into a, a, a heated discussion with our wives, I may, I may even go so far as to call it an argument or a fight. <laughs> and your wife brings you some, something to your attention, and she's like, this, this hurt my feelings, or this was not good, or this was wrong. You reach that point where she is correcting you and you go, okay, I'll be better. I promise. I'll work harder. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll be better. And yet we never put to death the actual root of the things that's causing us to, to do those things. We never actually say, you know what? I'm not humble. I need, I need to change in my core who I am. I need, there's something in me that needs to die and not just promise I'll be better. And guys, I've done this. This is me. I've done this for years. Here's the other, here's the other part where I've seen this play out, though. Is that when someone is learning and they're being corrected, and then their brain fills in the rest of this graph automatically. And they go, oh, okay, so I'm bad. I'm supposed to be good. I know, I can draw the logical conclusion to this, which means I need to be perfect, like Jesus and God. And then what comes next is, well, that's stupid. I can't do that. So psh, bail again and never put the self to death. You go, I, 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 I get it. I understand. This is hard. I'm not going to do it. And we bail. And so we, ha we, we could have an entire generation of people that bail and never put to death the self that, that the Bible is talking about when it talks about the Christian life being a life where you're dead. You're not you anymore. And we're going we're gonna to dig in even a little bit more. But here's a question. Here's a question. Did I die to myself? Or did I just start the process of trying to make myself better? This is something we all need to wrestle with. Even, even now. Well, I'm going to say that. That's our next point. <laughs> this, this idea of like, man, I just want to do a better job at being the guy that I'm supposed to be. And yet never killing that guy and living a radically different life. We need to wrestle with this. When we're sharing the gospel with people, we're not sharing the gospel of self-help. We're not sharing like, hey, you're bad, but help, if you listen to me, I can make you good. That's a false gospel. We are sharing the gospel of I will help you die, and I'll be there and live that way with you. Is that fun? Nah. Can we make a billboard out of that? No, no one's going to do that. But that brings us to my second point. So what happens at next? Then what? Well, point number two. 
Resurrected or reanimated? This is where we're going to talk about zombies, people. Are you resurrected or are you just reanimated? Let's read a scripture. This is what Paul said. This is, this is the longer version of what we just read before. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And so, what I love about this verse is it's saying it doesn't end with the death. It doesn't, when you die to yourself, that's not where it stops. There is a future that God has for you. And it's this idea of living a resurrected life. And we're going to look at that again. But here's the problem. I'm just going to be totally honest about my own life. And if, this, if, you, if, you, if you see a nugget of your life in this, that's great. I'm just going to be really honest about my life. When I, when I was baptized, I was like, man, this is it's, it's a whole new world like Aladdin. This is, this is amazing. Like nothing is as important as Jesus right now. Everything is like crystal clear and I'm, it's like in technicolor and everything is, makes perfect sense and everything's great. And it was very easy at that point to seek first the kingdom. Like Matthew, or like Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom. This was not hard. It was easy. And when other people didn't, I was like, what's the matter with you? It's so easy to seek first the kingdom. The problem is, this is, this is the, the clarity that comes from being dead. Living, choosing the life you're going to lead after that is very hard. And you have a choice. Am I going to lead the resurrected life? Or am I going to reanimate my old life? And so we start asking ourselves these questions. Well, like, but I'm in school, so what about my degree? I, I'm invested in that. That's a thing. But what about my career? Like, that's a big deal. I have to pay the bills and buy a house, and, you know, I have things I like to do. I have sports I like to play. I have games and passions and pursuits, and I, I'm, very, I'm very passionate about certain political things. I have causes that I want to fight for. I... There's times where you're just like, you know, man, what time is the game on? I just want to watch the game. And then over time, like I remember, I remember a time at, at our old church where we went through a hard time and I noticed that people like weren't coming to church as much and it lasted for a while. And then when we got together, man, the fellowship discussion was way more about sports. It was like everybody kind of took a break and reanimated that part of their life. 
And they just were like, man, like, man, did you catch the game? Are you watching this? Like, I got the NFL pass on the, on the direct TV or whatever. And, that, and now they're sports team. Or they're shows. Man, you talk to people, and you're like, hey, what shows are you watching? And they'll talk for a half hour. And we do this too. You got any new recommendations for a Netflix binge? Or what are your new, new true crime docu-series are you watching? And you, and you like your shows. You watch them. You want to know about your future. How am I going to take care of myself and my family? How, what are we going to do for fun? That's important to me. And how, how will I find a spouse? Like, where, where am I going to find fulfillment? And guys, the answer to all of these questions, all these individual questions, are the difference between living the resurrected life and what I'm calling the reanimated life. Where you make Jesus Lord of your life. You die to yourself, and then at some point other past that, you're like, you know what? I want my old life back. I am going to manufacture what, everything that good that I had in my old life. And it will be mine. And I will live the way I want to live. I have done this. And we have to be super careful about which life we are living. Here's, a, here's another scripture. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their very soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so, this idea of a zombie Christian is a Christian who says, I don't like being dead, and I'm going to come back. I'm going to have my life back. You live the reanimated life when you reject lordship. When you're like, okay, Jesus was Lord a while ago, but today I do what I want, and you can't tell me what to do. You wrestle control back from God. You're like, you're like, give me that. Like he's holding his, your life in his hands, and, he, and you're like, no, I don't want you to have my life in your hands. I want to be in control. I will become my own Lord. And sometimes it can almost be like this, okay, I lost my life. I did what you told me to do, God. I gave everything up for you. But now when do I get to do what I want to do? And guys, the answer is never. You never get to like give everything to God and then take it back. Not if you want to call yourself a disciple. Not if you want to call yourself a Christian. We take it back, but we don't see the price of that. We don't understand the price, and we refuse to pay the price of fighting God for control of our life. And so this idea of a zombie Christian, this idea of I died, and then at some point I was like, this is not fun anymore, and I'm going to crawl out of this grave, and I'm going to make my life the way I like to live it. And to God, you literally look like some lifeless corpse walking around doing whatever you feel like. 
And so here's my question. Do I live under lordship? Where Jesus is Lord, God is my master, I have no will outside of the will of my master, or have I decided, nope, it's mine, I'm going to do what I want with it. This is my life, I'm taking it back. And at every point, this doesn't mean like, I got to say this. At some point, I hope, hopefully I won't have to say this, but I got to say this because we're so entrenched in some, a lot of religiousness. I'm not saying that, that when you live this way that like God got his magic eraser and rubbed your name out of the book of life. Like, I, like is there a point where you're like, well, now, no more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying every day, you have the option, you have the ability and the choice to make Jesus Lord of your life today. So how was yesterday? It was bad, man. Okay. Today, Jesus can be Lord of your life. Don't be a zombie Christian. Last one. Devotion or desires? Do you live for devotion? Or do you live for your desires? We're going to talk about what motivates us. Like what is, what is pulling us or pushing us or driving us through life? When we, when we die and we choose to live a resurrected life, the decisions that we make after that are based on our devotion to God. I'm doing this because I believe that this is what will please my Lord, my master. This is what will please God. I'm not doing it necessarily because I want to do it. There's a lot of things that we do that we don't want to do, but we do them because out of our devotion to God. Here's, here's a verse from James, famous desire to sin uh, equation. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. This is where James is like, hey, if you're tempted, don't blame that on God. That's in you. You are tempted when your evil desire, uh, in, in your, your own evil desires, and you're enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Just another reminder, he's talking to Christians when he's, he's talking to them about their evil desires, enticement, and sin. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And I love this, because in this one little thing, they talk about desire, and then who, what should motivate us is God. But our desires are in us. And you all, I can't even imagine all the different desires that are in this crowd right now. Good, bad, indifferent. There's things that our hearts are just like, oh, this is what I would like. They, those desires in and of themselves are not sinful. Okay? In fact, there was, there was a brother that, that shared with me like, man, almost every sin comes from us not knowing how to fulfill a, a godly desire in a godly way. And so God puts something in our heart and we're like, yeah, but I'm going to do it this way. And depending on what that thing is and the way we do it, that can be 
very sinful. But he's saying, God doesn't change. God is not the shifting shadows. But our desires are. There's, there's things that I want to do, and I will put my mind to it, and then an hour later and be like, mm, I'm over it. Good and bad. There have been very good things that I have wanted to do. I have desired in a godly way to do, and then at another point I'm like, oh, yeah, I did, but not anymore. And guys, there's bad things that I've, I mean, I've done some bad things, and I've been like, man, this is going to be the whole focus of my life is this one thing, and then later I'm like, why did I think that way? It's horrible. It's because our desires do change. We change, but God doesn't change. The fact that you have desires is not bad. We have desires for success and achievement. We have desires for love. We have desires for relationships. But the problem is we, we have that desire and then we dwell on it. And then we fixate on it. And then we allow that desire to grow. And then the next step is it's not a desire anymore. Now we have planned a course of action. And we are going to do something about this. And that's where we take control back away from God. And I, I literally, in some of my darkest days, guys, I'm going to be honest. I, I, like, would pray, if you want to call it that, and be like, hey, God, leave me alone for a while. Back off. I got stuff I want to do. And it's crazy that I was even that self-aware to pray about my sin in that way, like, before I commit it, as I'm committing it. Like, like, don't make me feel bad about this, God. I'm doing this. We allow desire to grow, and we allow it to give birth to sin. Guys, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm not against social media, but man, I did, like, a quick Instagram search, and this stunned me. But when you look up happiness you will be bombarded with images and messaging that basically just say, do whatever makes you happy. Like, there was an old, in the 90s, there was an old Sheryl Crow song. Remember this? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. And we lived by that. And so you have messaging like, do whatever you want. Whatever you feel like, just do it. Do more of what makes you happy. What makes you happy doesn't need to make sense to others. Doesn't, who cares? It's just you. Whatever makes you happy. And we live by this stuff. This one is probably the freakiest. If you do not feel ashamed, then do whatever you like. This is just, this is just random things that people like post on social media. Success is doing whatever you want with whoever you want, and whenever you want. Now to a Christian who lives under the lordship of Jesus, we should be like, that sounds disgusting to me. And yet, as, as a man in the flesh, I'm like, man, that sounds great. I would love that life. And so the question then is like, well, what's so wrong? Like, you're, you're telling me not to live by my desires, but... I get this nonstop all day, every day. Like, who cares what you're saying? And it's, it's true. From a worldly point of view, a life of self-denial, a life of living for the devotion of another Lord makes 
Zero sense. And, and if I say, hey, if I walked into a local high school and I carried, you know, if we did a poll, like, don't do what you want, do what God wants you to do, do whatever makes you feel happy, where, where do you think most of the kids are going to fall? They're going to be like, that sounds stupid, I like what you're talking about, sounds good, sign me up. What is so wrong with following our desires when this is what we're being told all day, every day? Well, in the, in the Bible, Peter is struggling with a certain thing that's happening in the church. And it's, it's the, the problem of like false teachers. And he, he approaches that in a very strange way. He talks about their desires. And he talks about these men as living controlled by their desires. And I just want to read this, this scripture. I, I, I skipped a little bit in the middle where it talks about Lot and angels and some weird stuff, but I just want to talk about how he describes the people, okay? 2 Peter 2.10. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh, the sarks, if you remember that, and despise authority, bold and arrogant. These people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable, they are experts in greed and a cursed brood. Now, am I, am I reading this to, to scare you? or No, because that wouldn't work anyway. But what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to show is God does take this stuff pretty seriously. God isn't flippant about when we decide, hey, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. If it fulfills my most basic desires then that thing is going to be my God for however long that desire is around. The world, if you lived this way, the world will stand by and applaud you. And there are lots of people who sacrifice every good and wholesome and moral thing in their life, and they pursue their worldly, their worldly gains. They pursue them with abandon. They will destroy their marriage. They will abandon their children. They'll, you know... Be very like unjust to their you know employees or whatever, and, and they'll be like, This dude's awesome, this dude's super successful. The world will stand by and applaud your efforts to chase every desire of your heart. They'll be like, That's success. You watch the you watch the Oscars, you watch any award show, the guy that wins is like, Don't give up, follow your dreams, just if you believe hard enough, you, you, you can do it, man. And they don't interview the, all the guys that believed just as much as him and didn't get it. Everyone who, everyone who like, was at the Oscars wanted to win. It's not that that guy wanted it more. There's a hilarious meme about all the dead bodies on Mount Everest. He's like, Mount Everest is covered with very motivated, very dedicated people. That does not guarantee your success in life. And so when we do that, we can hurt people, we can sacrifice things, we can hurt ourselves, and people will be like, good job, you're doing great. 
But God takes this stuff seriously, and he is not pleased. So here's my question, very simple. Am I driven by my desires? When I decide, what am I going to do in any situation? What is the main motivating force at work? Is it because this is what I want to do and I do what I want to do? Or is it because I'm thinking about maybe what God would want me to do? And so there's this fork in the road between devotion and desire. And the world is not going to be a good example for you to which path you should take. Because literally everybody is following their desires. Even, and they're not all bad, they're good. There's a lot of very altruistic, good, following your desires isn't always evil. Please don't get me wrong on it. People want to do good things, and that is their desire, and they follow that. But even that is never filtered through the lens of lordship. And so, but the funny thing is, guys, it's never going to be this. It's never going to be one big decision. It's going to look like this. It's going to be like, this is just 25 of those pictures in a grid. And this, some of you might be like, yes, this was last month. And some of you might be like, well, that looks like Tuesday morning for me. Where I'm constantly like, oh, I don't know what to do. And we're faced with decisions where it could be a decision based on devotion to God or it could be a decision based on our desires. But we need to know when we're at that crossroads. We need to know what it feels like when I have a choice laid out before me. Because here's the problem. We get trained to live by our desires, and then we can never understand that we even have a choice to stop doing the things that we just please us. We need to learn when we're standing at the crossroads. And so here are, the, here are two types of people. The two alternatives of what we just talked about. A person that has died to their self, lives a resurrected life, and makes their decision out of devotion to God. Now contrast that with a guy who learned he was doing the bad things and he says, you know what, I'll be better. I'll be better. I'll, you know, even I'll read my Bible. I'll get all these books. I'll, I'll be better. I'll be better. I'll be better. But never kills the self. Never puts the self to death. Over time, he's like, this is awful. I am going to pull my old life back out and I'm going to live that way. And desires are what are driving him. These are two vastly different lives. Here's my warning for you, okay? One, one is worldly, one is biblical, and yet both can exist and even thrive in the modern church. It is very easy and I think we've done it in modern times and in this country and in this culture, we have created a religious environment where you can be the self-help Christian. You can be the zombie Christian. You can be living by your desires and never even like, won't even like be an issue. You just show up to church, you do the thing, everyone will be like, you're good, I'm good, we're fine. And it's easy, it's super easy. But how will you be different? How will you make the daily choices that will see through all this stuff? Be crucified and live a resurrected life. Here's another question. Who is in your life that sees through the veneer 
And this was very important for me because my whole, like, I got really good at kind of just putting forth an image of super spirituality. And, but I needed someone who would be like, man, I get what you're trying to do, but there's a lot of pride in your heart, Ben. Who is in your life that can see through that? And if you are not embracing the relationships that challenge you, you could be on that path of like reanimating your old life. It's very easy. And there'll be lots of people that will help you do that. I really, I pray that, that these things can, can spur on conversations between us, that we can have like good, deep conversations about how we're doing. I want us to be a church that is one of authentic devotion to God. Self can be an idol if we don't kill it. And, and that I'm the most important, and that pride, and I, I do what I want to do, that can be an idol. What we, actually, what we actually have to do is sacrifice it as an offering to God and put the self to death. So, amen, guys. I am so grateful for this time, and I, I love you. I pray that we have great conversations. At that time, at this time, John Jacobs from Detroit is going to come up and do our communion message. So come on up, John. <laughs>